0: This podcast is sponsored by Agapi Match. Agapi Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a 60 second audio question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. It literally takes one minute. This week's guest is dating coach and host of Dates and Mates podcast, Damona Hoffman. Now, before I bring on my guest, I again just want to thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker and sending in those dating and relationship questions via Instagram. You have truly blown up my DMs. If I have not answered your questions in my DMs, one day I'll probably get to it. You can't even imagine what's going on in the back end. And of course, thank you for telling your friends. I was actually just talking to my neighbor who does not follow me on any social media, and she told me, hey, I saw your face on some post on Instagram. I didn't realize you had a podcast. (laughs) So yeah, now, so, you know, tell your friends. I love that my neighbors know what I do now. And I'm just not, you know, Yanni's mom. Yanni's the name of my son. Next time someone starts rambling away about their dating or relationship dilemma, you tell them about this podcast. Tell them to send in their audio question, com. You know, I love your audio questions. That said, let's talk about our guest. Damona Hoffman is a dating coach and a media personality who starred in two A&E Networks TV series, Hashtag Black Love and A Question of Love. She's a regular contributor to the LA Times, the Washington Post, NPR, CNN, BET, and more. In fact, I'm going to make her, if if she lets us, talk about how she's going to be on the new Drew Barrymore show. What? She also hosts and produces the weekly podcast "Dates and Mates" with Damona Hoffman. Damona, welcome to Ask a Matchmaker.
1: I am so glad that you had me on the show. I, I, you know, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. So, I'm we're a fan friends, of yours. We're fans, and we're yeah. here. I am on the show.
0: I know a lot of people don't know who you are, so tell me about yourself as a dating coach or as a human. <laughs> um, I want to know more, a little bit about as a human, briefly, and then as a dating coach.
1: Well, Maria, before I was a dating coach, I actually used to work as a casting director in television. And that was actually my entry point into dating coaching because. I was single and ready to mingle at that time, but I was teaching classes for actors and how to market themselves and have headshots that really stole, stood out and told their story. And mm-hmm. at the same time, when I was online dating, I realized that basically the dating profile was a headshot. And the first date, as you probably know, was essentially an audition. And so once I, once I figured that out, I ended up meeting my husband online 17 years ago, way back in olden times. And that's really what got me into dating coaching. I never set out to do this.
0: (laughs) I don't think (laughs) anyone in our industry has set out to do this. I didn't set out to do this. I thought I would go into the foreign service.
1: Foreign service, really? Yeah,
0: my first job out of college was the U.S. Embassy in Athens. Gosh, what
1: are we doing with our lives
0: here? I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm I'm setting strangers up for a living,
1: (laughs) but it's so rewarding, right? Like I was working in television, and even the whole time while I was writing dating profiles, Mm -hmm. I was also working in TV, and it's great making entertainment and and helping people, you know, have a diversion, especially in today's world. But really to me, being able to literally change the course of people's lives is really more rewarding. And when you think about it, what is more important than the person that you choose to blend your life with and affects your family, your finances, your happiness, everything. To me, it's much more
0: important than television. Picking a spouse is the most important decision you will ever make. Full stop.
1: I agree with you. And that's why I love dating coaching because I feel like then we're really putting the focus on, on learning these date skills, mm-hmm. which I feel like are completely teachable skills. But it it's really, it improves all the aspects of your life. So sometimes I'll be working with someone and they're like, uh, well, I maybe I haven't met the match yet, but suddenly I got a promotion because I felt more confident in this right. other area of my life where I've improved my family relationships. So I think it, it really all blends together.
0: Do you take male date coaching clients?
1: I do. I do. I don't do a lot of one-on-one coaching now um, because I do so much free coaching through dates and mates. And then I have a lot of online programs and, mm. um, and content that I do. But yeah, I, I actually started out working with men exclusively because I was looking at so many profiles of friends and, and acquaintances and referrals that I was like, oh, you guys, you don't know what to say. Like mm. women, we are groomed always to present ourselves in a certain way. And especially I've seen a big change since Instagram became more popular. People are taking more photos of themselves. It used to be when I started doing this, people were like, I don't take any pictures of myself. I don't know how to do this. Right. But, and even when I started online dating, Maria, I kid you not, I had to go to Kinkos, to FedEx Kinkos. Before I was even FedEx Kinkos, it was Kinkos to have a photograph, a hard photograph scanned into the computer to get on a dating site
0: we didn't have smart we have listeners right now wondering what the sentence even means
1: (laughs) (laughs) meaning i had to do a very embarrassing thing and have someone else scan in my photo to put it on the computer to even dating like
0: it's 1999 that's what it is Yes, it
1: was it was like 2001 but like that's how bad i wanted it you know i really wanted a relationship and it wasn't like i was unsuccessfully dating i was dating i just wasn't meeting the right kind of guys
0: how did you and meet your husband
1: we met on an on a site i almost said app <laughs> we met on a site called nerve.com i oh my god nerve like,
0: i've never you know it I yeah. do know it. Oh my Olden god! Times. Olden
1: times, but I'd heard it was like the—it's sort of the OK Cupid of its day, I guess. It was sort of more artsy, edgy.
0: I always but... got California vibes out of it. Like I've—I've I've, I've seen Nerve, and I remember thinking. I don't live in California, so I probably shouldn't join this. Like, I remember that being my impression. You live in California.
1: I live in California, but the funny <laughs> thing is my husband heard about it from a friend in New York and he was like, dude, I'm going on like three dates a week. And again, this is wow. I, the big thing that I think people don't remember or realize is that the speed of dating has increased so exponentially since dating mm. apps came on the scene. Like before, mm. you you would have to go to the club, approach a woman, try and have a good pickup line, you know, or hire a matchmaker, but uh,
0: you know a lot of people who was hiring a matchmaker that like uh, the, the three that existed professionally, like not as many people were smart, not as, as many people, yeah, yeah,
1: to hire a matchmaker
0: like you, but well, to be honest, I don't time, think you needed that many matchmakers. I think people were a lot more social. Like you're describing a, an extremely right. social event. People would go out. I mean, I remember being single before I met my husband and I met my husband literally like a couple of months before Tinder was invented, was created. Right. I remember going to a bar, talking to guys, waiting for my girlfriend to go to the bathroom so that we can have a one-on-one conversation. Like there was, there was the the social aspect that just does not exist anymore. And it does not exist anymore because of apps. It doesn't exist anymore because should you go to a bar, everyone's on their phone. Like the moment your girlfriend goes to the bathroom and that's your moment to like shine, you know, get a guy to buy you a drink or whatever it is, you can't, you don't see it because you're thumbing away. You're on Instagram, thumbing away and missing the in person opportunity.
1: I agree with you. And I feel like dating apps have gotten a bad rap over the years. Maybe I'm biased because I, I spend a lot of my time on apps Mm -hmm. with my clients, but I think the biggest change has been. Our communication style, like you were saying, we are stuck in our phones and then all of the communication is happening either through DMs or through posts or through texting. And really, you can't tell if somebody is really clever and witty or compatible with you over written communication. And mm. that is also time shifted. I always say get into real time communication because that's when you can really like the conversation we're having right now, even though we're on zoom, the conversation we're having is real time. I'm listening to you and responding to what you're mm. saying. That doesn't happen in time shifted communication. And it's really, it's really breaking that momentum of being able to make a real connection. But back in olden times, people were going on they you might get a date a month. I don't know. Maybe you were better than I was. <laughs> I was maybe at one or two dates a month maybe.
0: This is but, you mean before
1: apps? Before apps. But now, I would say the average for most of my clients is like 2 to 3 dates in a weekend. The speed of dating has increased and
0: I feel like the turnover rate has increased i think I think right. that the 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 turnover rate has increased right, so I see right. that
1: as opportunity because I think usually
0: more I is see more. burnout though so like but burnout we, happens my company, we host a group coaching intensive for women. And we teach women, you know, compatibility and chemistry and how to reverse engineer the search to finding a person without using a matchmaker, do it on your own. And what I'm noticing is that the women that are coming to us, they've experienced online dating fatigue. So we're trying to teach them how to get around that. You know, it's funny you keep using the word olden times, because when I think olden times, I'm thinking... 200 years ago, and yeah. you're talking about, I'm talking eight about 20 years, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not even talking about 20 years ago. You're talking about right. eight years ago. Free Tinder. You know, when yeah. did Tinder come out? And 2013, I believe. So that being said, I think online dating is great. I think it's such a great tool for people to meet people, especially right now. It's like, it's, you know, online dating is shining right now during yeah. the pandemic.
1: Yeah. But any tool used improperly, can yeah. be dangerous or right. Mm-hmm. frustrating, right? Right. If you're trying to like hammer a nail into a wall and you're using a saw to do it, you're going to be really freaking frustrated. Mm. But people, just because you're on an app, that doesn't mean that you're dating or that doesn't mean that you're doing it the most efficient way. It's funny that you bring up dating burnout and dating fatigue because I was actually supposed to do an NPR episode about dating burnout before the pandemic hit. And then <laughs> they were like, oh, wait a minute. Is it still burnout now because everything has shifted? And I feel like it, it's, it's not so much burnout as it is confusion. Like we've Everything has shifted, but I feel like we were at such a crazy unsustainable pace with dating before that we almost, I mean, not that I wish that the pa- pandemic happened. Obviously I don't, but I, I almost feel like something had to happen to get us to stop and slow down and really
0: reconnect. COVID has made dating great again. <laughs> I see this. I'm telling you. Don't use that I've... phrase to say it. <laughs> No, it's true. COVID has made dating great again, and I get it—that people are lonely at home. I get it. I get it. I get it. For anyone listening, who's like screaming into a pillow, because even if you're introverted, you need to talk to someone. You need to see someone physically. I get it. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about how—and I see this as a professional matchmaker who set up thousands and thousands of dates. You know what I remember? I remember people not courting. I remember people just kissing on a first date. And saying, I don't want to see her again. And now I'm like, well, you can't kiss on the first day because uh, CDC guidelines say don't do that. Uh, you shouldn't be kissing little partners in a week. And you have to court. Men have to court now. I had a client, Damona, who took out one of my, one of his matches out to the, we set them up to Central Park. And I shit you not, this guy brought a blanket, a bottle of wine, two cups, and some apps. <laughs> <laughs> and he romanced her in the Great Lawn at Central Park. Oh, and she yeah. says it's the best first date she's ever been on. That's so beautiful. It can happen. You're giving us and they sat six feet away.
1: (laughs) I love that. You know, I've been hearing that from clients too. Like, somebody just um, contacted me who had she'd been on all the apps. She'd done all of the things. She'd been on Tinder. She'd been on Bumble. She'd done Coffee Meets Bagel. And during the pandemic, finally met someone. And she said, "This is interesting too." She wouldn't have necessarily matched him just on his pictures because we were also in that really fast swipe, swipe, swipe and volume business. Mm -hmm. But she saw something else in his profile that was a statement that she agreed with. And she was like, oh, I like how this guy thinks. Eh, It's a pandemic. Maybe I'll swipe right. And same thing. Like They ended up having a beautiful hiking date and then a bike riding date followed by a picnic. And he's really wooing her. And she says now in the pandemic, they're actually able to get to know each other without all the distractions. Like when you think about it, dinner and a movie is a distraction. Just going to the bar and having other people around or playing a game or an activity is kind of a distraction. And I recommend it on first dates to give yourself an activity and especially even on Zoom dates because those can be very... Those can be very boring, but, but she was saying for her, she got to see that they could really connect on a much deeper level because it's just the two of them and they're, mm. they don't have all those other things to draw their focus or to comment on.
0: We've set up about 40 physical dates in the last three months. The first dates that have been a walk in the park or a walk by the pier have consistently had the best reviews and I have a theory why.
1: Oh, I want to hear it.
0: So I always used to say, if you're going to go on a date, this pre-pandemic, if you're going to go on a date, never sit across from each other, sit either side by side or perpendicularly because if you don't know someone and they're a stranger and they're sitting across from you. Awkward. It's awkward it's a inner it doesn't matter any god God forbid he's cute every time he asks you a personal question, you kind of like look away because you're a little nervous to look into his eyes and it's it's uh-uh. anyway yeah. we before we were still scared about sending people to um open restaurants, so we were sending them to Central Park and the pier. We still do it for some clients because they just love it, and what happens when you're at the park? you walk? When you're walking down the path or at the pier and you're walking across against the water, you're standing side by side. And now you can have these really deep in-depth conversations without having to make eyesight.
1: Yeah. And beyond that, you're also, if you're walking, you're raising your endorphins, which actually can mm. make you even feel more connected to the other person because your heart yes. is racing a little bit and you you feel alive. You can't, you don't have time to be bored while you're yes. walking with someone. That's a great, yes. that's a great date. Ultimately, I think we will learn a lot from it. I don't know how long the effects of the pandemic on dating culture will last, but I'm really trying to teach people what they can take away from it. And I've always said, practice slow love, like take your time getting to know someone. So I also love that you can't get physical right away. You have to build that trust
0: first. I think some things are going to be permanent, like kissing on a first date. I don't know if they do it at the high rate that they did before the pandemic or going out on dates with multiple partners back to back in one week. I think that that might just be a pure pandemic thing. I think people might be ready to give that up actually.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, you could, but see now you can do virtual dates. And that's another thing I've always taught my clients. Like when you're moving from the app to the real world, there has to be some in between screening Mm -hmm. stuff, I call it. Um, And people were just rushing through that. And then they were just making a date, showing up and getting, getting ghosted, having, getting stood up on dates, not making a connection, wondering, well, I seem great on paper. I don't know why we don't really have a connection. And I find that when I'm forced my client to do a phone call or a virtual date a a video Mm -hmm. chat date first, they really have more of an investment going into that date. I mean, you're doing that for your clients already. You're doing the the filtering.
0: We've part. done we've done this but you know what some of our clients um prefer Zoom dates for first dates now we have other clients who are just like, oh God, get me out of the house. You know. So right, we right. have it has to be a unanimous decision, right? Um, both parties have to say yes for it to be a physical in-person date. But at the same time, if someone says no, the, per- the other person doesn't take it personally. I think they're more understanding than they've ever been before. So, okay. So while COVID is happening, if someone is listening to this podcast 20 years from now. While this is happening, we're also in the middle of a civil rights movement revolution. Pick your noun.
1: I like revolution. It's, a, it's like, it, it really sounds powerful. So the other thing I didn't mention at the top of the show is I'm also multiracial. My mom is is a strong black woman from the projects in Detroit. My dad is a white Jewish man, son of immigrants from from Russia. And uh, oh, from wow. the south side of Chicago. These two these two lovebirds met and How did they had meet? me.
0: They How worked in the meet? same
1: hospital. I'm the only person in my family also that doesn't work in medicine in some capacity. Uh, uh, <laughs> in a way, so I cool. work the, you know medicine of the heart. But love is the best medicine. But, um, but yeah, I am the product of an interracial, interfaith relationship. And right. then beyond that, my entire family is super diverse. My sister-in-law is is Indian American. My stepmother, my parents didn't last. My stepmother is Mexican American. And I have always approached dating from a very wide racial lens.
0: And your husband's not biracial. He's not biracial. He
1: is uh, from a dual religion household as well, though. Oh, Christian wow. And, and Jewish. Oh, so, wow. But, you know, he white. He a Euroma.
0: <laughs> His parents didn't immigrate here.
1: No, 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 They've been here. All right. he, he's white. Okay. <laughs> he's white American, but, um, uh, but, but half Jewish. And so we're raising our kids Jewish, but the point is that my world has already had a lot of, a lot of cultural, cultural acceptance, acceptance, and, 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 and exposure to a lot of different worlds. So I have always coached from this point of view, Maria. I'm realizing now in today's world that not everyone was looking at the world the same way and
0: you just realized
1: that <laughs> i think Is I that real Is that, before, are you serious right now but i have always included this conversation in my dating coaching i didn't realize that other dating coaches did not necessarily do that and i don't what, know what conversation that, we have hard conversations about race we say what are your racial preferences in dating i've always said that and if they say, well, I'll date this race, this race, this race, but not black, we have a conversation about that. And I'll do a technique. It's actually a business technique called the five whys. And I will unpack it through a series of well, wh- why is that? Because sometimes we have, we, everybody has this list, right? I know, I know you get the list
0: more than Oh my anybody. God, every day. <laughs> but
1: it's, it's really interesting to me how people form this list. And sometimes there are things on it, including race, that are there because, not because there are stuff, but because there are parents stuff or because they're just a cultural norm that we have bought into and don't even realize that we're victims of.
0: I have so many questions okay. uh, about this. I have, I
1: have probably just more questions, but I'm happy to engage in a dialogue about it. I don't know if I have the
0: answer. What, what, you have, oh, you, oh, okay. I was like, you have questions for me on this because I don't know how to answer them. <laughs> no,
1: all I right. mean, I think none of us really has has the answer to this, but we're all in it together. So I'm Listen,
0: to no, no one has the answer, and, and frankly, no one has the right answer I've learned over the last few months. However... I think it's important to have the dialogue. Like you just said, the dialogue is what matters. So let's have that right now. So my business is uh, half matchmaking, half coaching. In coaching, I don't really have to talk about race so much. When I'm teaching someone long-term compatibility, I go through their five pillars. That uh, This is what we've created. And that's, you know, your five compatibility pillars are physical, financial, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. And under physical, where do I see someone right must be this race, which tells me it's not as important to them that they say they think it is because I think people are so focused on long-term compatibility and this like multifaceted approach that I'm providing them where I'm showing you here's who the right person is for you. And this might be in any color, but so I don't have to, it's just never, I've never had the opportunity to talk about race.
1: I wonder how many of those people omitted it, but then how their behavior aligns with what they've written. That's what's really interesting to me.
0: I mean, under spiritual, Mm -hmm. people will talk about religion and Mm -hmm. you know, I only want to date this. And then I'll ask them why, why, why? See, you're doing the same thing. (laughs) But see, so maybe it's this. So let let me tell you what I see on the religion because matchmaking is an entirely different thing. I want to talk to you about and get your thoughts on it. But with coaching, when we talk about religion, I always ask them, well, why does he need to be um, Catholic. And in fact, a friend of mine, unfortunately, she passed away from COVID. Uh, she's actually a previous client who, who became a friend and um, she was Protestant. And she's the only one that's ever given me, I'm not saying I agree with it, but she's, only, she's the only one that's ever given me like a real reason why the, her match has to be Protestant. And it had something to do with like the Holy Trinity. So it became like a technical understanding of her own faith. And she's like, how can, you know, Holy Trinity, I have to, he has to believe this or we can't, or if he believes in this, we can't be together. And I was just like, man, I don't agree with anything, but fine. If, you know, you're taking it to a technical way, it's just, it's kind of like when you meet someone who's Jewish and they're like, no, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. And you're taking it from a technical standpoint, not the cultural standpoint. So sometimes when people say to me, he has to be Jewish, he has to be Catholic. I'll ask, why does he have to be Catholic? And usually it's one of two answers. The first answer is, I've never dated other religions, so I don't know. Or it's, my parents would be really upset. And then I always ask them, I always say the same two things over and over again. I say, do you think your parents want you to be happy? Or do you think your parents want you to be with someone Catholic? Not to say these are mutually exclusive, but like, you know, what do you think your parents want for you? And the second thing I always say is, I'm Greek Orthodox Christian. My husband is Greek Orthodox Christian. My in-laws, they're still unsure about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, it brings up that there are cultural differences, even in cultures that on the surface are the same. And oh, yeah. I think we forget that, that no matter who you blend your life with, you're going to have different traditions. <laughs> you're going to have different family structure than they are. And there will always be that, that negotiation that has to happen culturally, but I totally hear what you're saying. I, I actually started out writing for J-Day. That was my first writing, Mm. writing gig. So I, I got a lot of people who, who were Jewish and were told they were supposed to marry someone Jewish, but then on further examination realized that they weren't necessarily wanting someone Jewish as much as they wanted someone who allowed them to practice what they believed and supported them. Along with all those other things on the list, like you were saying in the five pillars, but it, it, it really sometimes takes someone else to look at those things with you and that 's why i 'm glad you 're also asking those questions in your coaching program because honestly, I realized ever, ever since the, the the black lives matter protests kind of reemerged this this summer that not everybody is willing to have these conversations maria and not everybody is willing to even do that work They're, They just will date, will date out of familiarity, but then we, we will complain that we haven't met someone that meets our needs, but we keep dating the same person. And we're attracted to that because what's familiar is attractive, but it might not ultimately be the right thing because if it was, you'd probably be matched already.
0: Louis Felix, he's one of the other matchmakers on the team. He always says your past is your future. And I think I see that. You know, I see that. Now, with matchmaking, I see something very different. I love your thoughts on this. So, with matchmaking, I just have to take down people's criteria. And then, as a professional, I have to tell them, look, your goalposts are really limiting. What if you did this? And what if you do that? So, this is what I encounter. I encounter every single man I've met has an opinion about race. And it's always. I'm only, I'm only attracted to, well, I mean, every person I've met has told me what they're attracted. I always say, do you have a racial preference? And they'll you know, I'll hear, you know, I'm open to dating this, this, and this. So I don't ask anymore why I've learned like, uh, you know, they're coming to me for whatever reason. However, I do get dumbfounded when people say like, for instance, I don't want to date someone my own race because it reminds me of my mother or my sister. And I'm like, what? That's so weird.
1: I, I have to admit though, my dad never said you should marry someone Jewish. That was never a dialogue in my house. But mm-hmm. I think out of some element of rebellion, I distinctly remember telling my dad at one point, dad, I'm not going to ever marry a Jewish guy. So you need to get over it. It's not going to happen. I remember now you're raising two Jewish children. <laughs> <laughs> word for word. I remember saying that. Yeah. So sometimes you, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. You don't know always what you want until it comes in the, the packaging that it's meant to arrive right. in. And my husband was everything that I was looking for on, on my list, on that dreaded list. right? But I, by that point, because he had checked so of many of my other boxes, I don't even think I was concerned about the fact that that he was Jewish. Mm. No, he's not super religious, and neither am I. So maybe if he was more rel- uh, on one side of the spectrum, more religious than I was, that might have been a conflict. But for us, I was open minded enough to allow him to be the person he was, not the label that. Right. We,
0: I mean, I will tell you my favorite, favorite, favorite people to work with, not, a, not even as clients, even as the free member matches. If you don't know this and you're listening to this podcast, please go to agopimatch.com and join my free database. I love it when people check off all the races and all the religions because it just tells me that they're just open. They just want to meet the guy, the woman, you know, the one they want to share their life with. And that, you know, these elements are not important.
1: And they really aren't to a certain extent. In, in a way, I mean, I grew up in a very white neighborhood and very brown skin. <laughs> so I know what it's like to feel othered. And I find there's a lot of concern around what would it be like if we go out somewhere? Are people going to look at, look at us? Are people going to judge our kids if we have biracial children? There's a lot of fear around the what if scenarios of being in a cross race or cross cultural relationship and going through that, having been through that, having my parents have gone through that and Mm. had had people stare at them at restaurants and the cops were called on my mom when we moved into our, our home in Michigan. So we've been through it, but to me, I see it as having the best of both worlds that I'm able to move through a lot of different spaces and relate to a lot of different people. Maybe in some respects, that's the reason that I do what I do because I can really connect with people of many different backgrounds. Right. So to me, being with your dream partner and the person that fulfills you on so many other levels is worth far more than a few awkward glances. And I've got them. My husband and I have gotten them in places. Mm -hmm. I've had
0: to justify my choice of a partner to, to people. People absurd. awkward glance for anything though. Like it's not just limited to race. You could be in a wheelchair. You could have a hearing aid. You could be fat. You can have a rowdy child. <laughs> like there's, there's plenty of reasons for people to look at people. The difference is that yours is easy to spot.
1: Yes, exactly. And like you said, it, is, it really does exponentially open up your options. If you can just be open on race. And like you mentioned a minute ago, people, when they say I'm only attracted to this race or that race, mm-hmm. to me, that is the thing that I just cannot accept because one, we have to acknowledge the racist system that we have been born into and, and live in. In America. In America, right. I know you probably have listeners from all over, but in America, but in no. no, but I Listen,
0: no, no, it's not just the listeners from all over. It's, look, I sometimes, I've lived a significant portion of my life in Greece, mm-hmm. which is, for the most part, a very homogeneous society. It's, it's 98% white, 99% white, 99% Greek Orthodox Christian. Mm. So if a Greek person says to me, I only want to date someone who's Greek, it's like, well, that's what you're familiar with. I can't, right. you know, I'm not going to sit here and have a conversation now with you about different races. You've probably only ever seen an Asian person on TV.
1: Right, right. I never told you my college boyfriend was Greek, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, open to dating other people. too. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, in in America. But yes, definitely in other yeah. places. And I have I've written articles as well on what it's like for Black women when they go to Europe and they're dating in Europe. They, it's a totally different experience. They're perceived in a much more open way than in America. But oh my
0: God, yes, what yeah. you just said, uh, like it, it, it's inc- you're really having trouble is, as a Black. It woman. It is incredible in if you are uh, if you are a Black woman and you go to Europe, and I, by Europe I don't mean go to some village in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> if you go to a, a cosmopolitan city, it's like you automatically have cred.
1: Yeah, I've also heard it for Asian men that have been more successful dating outside of America. So we just have to first acknowledge in the US the system that we, are, that we have been living under and that we continue to buy into just because of what we are exposed to, just because of the culture of this country.
0: Jamona, you know what the difference is? I'm, I'm starting to think right now. I think in America, our vocabulary has built in microaggressions. Mm. And in Europe, you don't have that. I'll give you an example. Sometimes some people will say, oh, my neighbors are black, but they, they went to college. Mm. That is a microaggression. Why do you need to qualify their education? In Europe, no one would say that. like in Europe, I'm not going to generalize an entire continent. I'm sure there's different, uh, there's more races in the UK, but let's say in continental Europe where there's less of a black population, let's say. I don't think, I want to believe that these microaggressions don't come out like that. I could be wrong. That's really profound. But we have a lot more vocabulary here that I realize. Like I've seen it when when someone says, oh, she's so articulate.
1: Oh my God. How much, how often do I hear?
0: Oh, (laughs) do they, do people say that about you?
1: Oh, all the time. All the time. You're, you're so smart. They almost say it like they're surprised. They're surprised. You're so smart. Mm. You're, Mm. you're so articulate. All the time I hear that. And then, you know, I'll hear from my black clients will say, oh, you're really pretty for a black girl. Or like, you're so oh. exotic. <laughs> like, I'm not a dish. I'm a human person. So the, the sooner that we just acknowledge what you just said, Maria, the the microaggressions and the biases that we carry with us that Mm. are not
0: necessarily our fault, but that we have, people don't even realize it. What I just said, there's someone listening to it. Who's like, that's a microaggression. Like people, we don't even realize it comes out of our mouth.
1: Exactly. And even like as a person of color, I'm taking stock of this too. We are all, we have all bought into the white patriarchal society in America. The wasp. We, we have bought into now. it. So now that we know that it's there, what are we going to do? Are we going to stuff it away back in the closet and be like, well, that, oh, that, that was like the, the awkward cousin that came out at, at, at uh, Thanksgiving? No, we have to really look at it and say, how are my actions, one, promoting this kind of ideas? Mm-hmm. And two, how are they affecting my own life and the choices that I make in dating? Mm-hmm. The sooner that we do that, the sooner we can get people into fulfilling relationships, have more blending of the cultures, which is is definitely my goal. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to mean through intermarriage, but even just through dating someone of a different race or becoming friends with someone from a different race or a different culture, it expands your cultural fluency.
0: And also that's such a good word, cultural fluency. I think it also expands your tolerance. Tolerance Absolutely. is built with more exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's absolutely true. I'm not asking
1: any of my clients or any of your listeners to do anything that I haven't already done. And I haven't done with my clients before. It's just first a process of examining, examining where do my beliefs sit and why, if you are only attracted to a certain race, why, what does that mean to you and what would happen? What would happen if it were not true? What if that right. belief that you're holding is just straight up false? And if you dated from a different place, if you tried to expose yourself to different, not, wait, not in that way, if you tried to date someone of a different culture and it, let them be their own person and approach it with curiosity, which I always tell my clients.
0: Yes. With approach curiosity. with curiosity. I'm going to make my clients listen to this episode. I have clients who will say no to certain religions and races. And then I meet someone who's perfect for them. And I'm like, really? You're not open to this person? Like, you're not religious? She's not religious? Who gives a shit? Just go out. Like, it's just a date. How are you already sure you're not going to marry her? I'm just asking you to go on a first date. The purpose of a first date is not to discover if they're going to be a good girlfriend, a good wife, a good mother, or a good boyfriend, a good husband, or a good father. It's literally to determine if you should go on a second date. That's it. And just because I told you her, her religious background, not what, what relationship she has with it now, just her religious background, you're giving me a no?
1: I find that people are <laughs> often looking for reasons to say No. Uh. Say yes, because both options are scary. If you do find the right person and they don't fit into that mold, what does that mean about everything else that you believe, or about your convictions, or about mm. even knowing yourself? I didn't. If I didn't know that, what what does that mean? Like, I have had to completely reframe my feelings and thoughts around Judaism. I have had a, a complete 180, Maria. What do you and mean? some of that in having kids and then realizing I had completely shut the door on Judaism. And then when I had kids, I was like, oh, wait, this actually is a really important part of my life. And now I'm much more religious than my husband is. I've had to figure out really what role religion has in my right. life. And, I've, and I guarantee you, Maria, if I was not with my husband, if I didn't have these kids and the life that I have now built for myself, I may not have had that discovery. I may have just stayed in the echo chamber of my own thoughts.
0: People also just assume that, you know, I mentioned before that, like my in-laws, they're still not sold on me after eight years and two grandkids. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's because in their eyes, I'm not Greek enough. Even though both my parents are from Greece and I was, I was born a Greek citizen. I lived there for five years as an adult. I speak Greek with a great, um, accent, uh, dialect, excuse me. My in-laws, con- especially my mother-in-law, she doesn't listen to this podcast. <sighs> she considers yeah. me, a she me a foreigner. She calls me a foreigner. She calls me a foreigner to her friends. She calls me a Xeni. Wow. And that- we're the same religion. We're the same race. And also what's worse to her, by the way, is not that I'm, I don't live in Greece or whatever, that I was raised in America. For her, the, the the biggest sin is that I'm not from the exact same island as my husband. I'm from a different island. The original point I wanted to make here, though, is that just because someone is the same religion as you does not mean that they have the same relationship to religion as you. I've noticed this several times.
1: I, I also think there's something in there about living our lives for ourselves and what makes us happy. Like your husband is obviously very happy with you. Yeah. And if we lived our lives based on what our parents' beliefs are and what they want for us, I I think there's probably a lot of things that we would not do and not pursue. So some of my work is also in in getting people to take stock of what is their stuff and Mm. what belongs to their parents. And Mm. what is that boundary? Like your your mother-in-law
0: hasn't written off your husband. Like he's still a part of... I mean, God, when she first heard about me, I don't think they spoke for like five months. She was so upset. But she got over it <laughs> ultimately. No, she's not over it. She's told me to. We we only talk. We talk maybe twice a year. I say happy birthday, and then I say Merry Christmas. I've tried, but you know what? It's okay. I'm my her her son is happy, and if she said that her son is unhappy, she knows she's lying. Listen, I love her. I love her very much because she made the exact human that I always wanted in my life and I'm always gonna love her. Um, I've tried, but yeah. I don't know. Maria, that's really sweet though. You know, we don't have to like each other, but we we can love each other. (laughs)
1: Right. And that's ultimately what matters. And I have to say also my relationship with my in-laws has evolved over the years. Like I used to have a lot of communication problems and friction with my father-in-law. And I was always like, I don't understand. And then I, I don't know what happened. Eventually we've been together 17 years. So I guess when he realized I wasn't going away, eventually our relationship changed and now we we have a great relationship. We do a wine club together, <laughs> wow. a virtual wine club, and it's really great. So I think a lot of us are living in the moment, in the right now, mm-hmm. and even just with dating. Like people react to well, this, was, this is what happened on this particular date and, and it's hard to picture in the future that things can be different and hmm. things can evolve. So again, this is why slow love and this is slow love with, your, with yeah. your partner and slow love with your partner's family and especially if there's any kind of cross-cultural difference, just to take your time and know that you might not be accepted right away. You might not be accepted ever, but the present may not be The future. You said the past is your future, but the present may not be.
0: (laughs) All right, let's get to our audio questions. Hi, matchmaker Maria. It's Tina, and I'm from New Jersey, and I'm 30 years old. How many dates do you think you should go on to give someone and yourself an opportunity to form somewhat of an attraction or connection if you don't initially feel it? I've gone on dates with the nice guys who I thought had everything I'm looking for and seemed decent, but after a date or two, didn't really feel a spark or excitement in our conversations
1: or time together? That is literally the perfect question for me because I have an exact answer and I have a story.
0: I love it. Say This is an incredible, incredible question. Thank you so much, Tina.
1: Tina, three dates. That is my rule. Three dates. Oh, me too. Yeah. All you need. See? like Maria said earlier, all you need to know at the end of the first date is that you're curious enough about this person to go on a second date. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about the second date. If by the third feelings, curiosity of like, what would it be like to kiss this person or take our masks off or Mm -hmm. whatever if that doesn't emerge by the third date, then usually it's more of a friendship or a dating connection that isn't meant to blossom. But my personal story on this front I was doing a dating plan when I met my husband called operation date nice guys. So I love that she brought up she keeps trying to date the nice guys because I you know I was in my bad boys phase. I was doing date I was doing online dating, meeting tons of men but not meeting anyone that really had the qualities that I was looking for. And so I said mm. I need to date some nice guys and give them a chance. And Nice guys are definitely a slower burn. And with my husband, you know, he was nervous on the first date. It was a little bit awkward, but I knew I was really curious about his brain, the way he looked at the world, the way he processed information. And I was like, this guy's so interesting and so smart. I have to see him a second time. And at the end of the second date, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, he's cute. I don't know. And by the third date, I... I kid you not, it was like a, like, the light bulb switched on and I was like, oh, this is my guy. But it really took that much time for me to have that kind of feeling oh. and that kind of clarity.
0: How many dates in did you realize, I'm going to have kids with this person? Oh, way, 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 way down the road.
1: I'm like, wait, <laughs> did I ever make that decision? I, at some point, I must have made that decision. <laughs> I think I knew it was serious Probably about a year into it. Oh, wow. Because I remember being at a wedding with him and they were saying some very intense romantic vows and he reached over to me and grabbed my hand. And I feel like all the guys that I dated before, if they heard something like that, they would be like, I'm out of here. Like she's going to start getting ideas. But instead of running
0: away from me, he pulled me in closer. And that's when I was like, oh, who is this? I want to go back to what Tina said. Tina said a word that I I don't like, which is spark. I believe the spark is extremely overrated. Think about how many first dates you've been on where there was a spark and then it didn't lead to anything. I would bet that most of your first dates that didn't lead to anything had a spark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I've always said three dates. The point of a first date is to go on a second date if you had fun. And I don't mean fun as in roller coaster fun. I'm saying it's exactly what you said. Are you curious nuts enough to know more? Was it interesting? If the answer is yes, you're going on a second date. When in doubt, go back out. Now, same thing on the second date. The second date, of course, though, is to reaffirm to the guy. This is, of course, a heteronormative conversation. So I apologize to anyone who's not in this. But I think the same still applies to most people. The second date is to reaffirm that you are as cute as he remembers.
1: <laughs> i like that you flip that too maria because i feel like we always approach it from our own perspective but we forget they're going through their own experience and evaluation right. Process
0: too right right so one thing i realized when i w- i had my own plan and uh my, my my listeners have heard it a thousand times so i'm not going to repeat it but i met my i was very intentional when i met my husband i didn't know i would end up marrying george when i met him but i, I knew anyway i knew something so here we go what i realized in the year of my intention of intent, dating intentionally was that The guys that were nice were kind of boring, but they weren't boring for the negative connotations we give that word. They were boring because they were predictable in their communication. They were consistent with their communication. They were dependable and reliable. These are really boring. And the guys that kind of create that faux spark that we're attracted to, they're exciting. Why are they exciting? Because they said they'd call and they wait two days to call you back or they text you and then they leave you on read, or they give you really nebulous statements to let you know that you don't know if they're dating other women. And that is exciting. And I say this in a negative connotation, not the positive connotation that we assigned to that word. So when I met my husband, I was I was very smitten with him when I first met him because I thought he was very interesting. I could clearly tell that he was a very smart man, but he was very underwhelming in the way he presented himself. Like he wasn't trying to come off as, well, I'm a PhD who works at Harvard. He was just like, let me show you what I know about martinis. And, uh, you know, like it was just very understated Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to see him again. You know, we went out the next day, our set, it's funny, the next day we spent a lot of time together. So our second date we did, we were in Boston. So we did the freedom trail in Boston, which is like a four hour walk. (laughs) we talked about everything. And then the date after that, which I guess is technically our third date, that's when I realized, oh, I'm having his kids. I remember thinking that. I didn't know I would, but I was just like, I need to follow this. Like It was the first time I ever felt I was with someone who who I really admired and I could tell that he admired me as well.
1: Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. That mutual admiration and respect That'll take you really far. That spark, if
0: you're chasing that spark, that can fizzle out really fast. Yeah. And so I always say like the spark is so like, completely overrated. And in terms, to go back to Tina's point, I, I was not physically attracted to my husband the first couple of days. He had to grow on me. I was there mentally, spiritually, financially, all the pillars, except for the physical. The physical, it took me a, took me about a week. Do you now find, I think though, he's the cutest. <laughs>
1: right? I know. I know. And the more you get to know someone like inside and out, then the more attractive they become to you. I'm curious if you see the same thing with your male client. No,
0: no, absolutely yeah, not. If
1: they don't have the physical.
0: If a man does stuff. not find a woman attractive within the first 45 seconds upon meeting her, it does not matter how great the date is. It does not matter one bit. He will never go on a second date.
1: Yeah. I agree with you on that.
0: And I can't, I can't force men. I can nudge women, but I can't force men. You know, just because a man thinks like this in the beginning doesn't mean it lasts. Let me tell you, physical attraction for men fizzles just as fast as he gets to know you. So if everything else is not lining up, it's just, it's no, it's a no go. I think men are a lot more particular when it comes to physical looks than women. Let's go to our next question. Hi Matchmaker Maria. My name is Ariana. I'm in Brooklyn and I'm 33. If you would like to talk to your parents about dating somebody interracial, how do you bring that up again when you've done it in the past and it hasn't gone over well? Specifically, my father hasn't reacted well to those that I have dated who were outside of my race because he felt like they weren't educated enough or that they were with me for me to take care of them.
1: So much in there to unpack because I'm sure that she is grappling with her own feelings about what that means about her father and the things that he has said. Mm. The, the answer, the simple answer to her question is you don't tell them you don't, you don't bring, bring your significant other into the conversation with your parents until you have the sense that this person is the one and this person is going to be around for a while. And I know for some people they they feel like the approval of their parents is an element of attraction, but like you've just demonstrated this entire episode that ultimately that is not the most important thing and that you need to trust your own gut of what you need and how you feel when you're with this person because your parents will they will adapt or figure it out or they will opt themselves out of your life, which hopefully is not the The answer, but you have to be happy. You have to be with someone that you're attracted to, that you're interested in. And it's unlikely that you are going to change your parents' perspective that has been that has been, you know, calcified over years and years of having certain experiences and and beliefs reinforced. Because we enforce them, reinforce them because everything that we see, we look for validation for our bias. So we don't see the other stuff that doesn't line up with this person of another culture that is educated and not there to take advantage of you. But you're not going to change your dad's mind, but you will not make yourself happy trying to live up to his expectations of who you should be with.
0: You know, replace a different race and put in different you know, different collar, C-O-L-L-A-R. You know, maybe you have a white collar position and he's blue collar. Maybe he'll have an opinion about that. Maybe he's an immigrant. Uh, Maybe he's not, he doesn't have any formal education. Like there's always something for a parent to try to negate your happiness. And I'm starting to learn, especially as an adult, as I grow older, like our parents, while we look at them as divine beings, as children, they are, all parents are flawed. You know, they are at the limits of their own experiences, as all of us are. And some, I'm not saying that this particular person has this, but some of us have toxic parents. And you have to learn that at some point, not everything that's happening in your life needs to also be shared with your family members. Mm Mm-hmm. If you decide this is the person and this person makes you happy, and you know you're making a commitment, you can share that news. But guess what? Even if he doesn't like them, you're still his daughter. That 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 doesn't change. Now he gets to decide what kind of relationship he'll have with you, and you get to decide if you want to accept that kind of relationship.
1: Right. But yeah, we can't make our decisions based on our parents' decisions because they are they they had their
0: chance. You'd be single forever. Decisions. Right. <laughs> if it were up to my mother in law, my husband would be living with her. She'd yeah. cook for him every day.
1: And I think it's important to to remind ourselves in those moments, they're doing the best they can. They've done yeah. the best that they can. And it's coming out of a place of love and compassion. It's not coming out of a place of hate. Uh, yeah, of hate. It it's just his own experience and he wants what's best for you, but ultimately that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows what's best for you. Exactly.
0: Well, Damona, thank you so much. I love that you are joining us on Ask a Matchmaker. How can people find you?
1: Well, I have the Dates and Mates podcast. We just launched season eight. So we we handle headlines. I have interviews, and then we do question and answer, just like like you do here. And then I'm also on all of the socials, at Damona Hoffman. And I love helping people navigate some of these challenging questions and uh, find love.
0: Yeah. If you are on Facebook, Damona Hoffman. If you are on Instagram, Damona Hoffman. If you are on Twitter, Damona Hoffman. And if you are on your podcast app, whichever that may be dates and mates. That is where you'll find Demona Hoffman. Thank you so much for joining us on Ask a Matchmaker. And thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard and you have not already, rate, review, and of course, subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your single mom and dad, tell everyone to come listen to Ask a Matchmaker. And if you have a dating or relationship question, visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60 second audio question. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matchmaker Maria for more dating and relationship tips. As you know, you can send a dating question in my DMs, but as you know, I screenshot, that is the social contract we have with each other. You send me a question, I screenshot it, post it, but then I answer it. That's what we do. Yeah. So follow me Matchmaker Maria for more dating relationship tips until then be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.